Welcome to Set for Life with Pastor Ray Jensen. You can find us at setforliferadio.com. Romans 10.9 says that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. So let's listen from God's Word, verse by verse, on how we can prepare for the coming of the Lord and Messiah Jesus, who died on the cross, so that you can be set for life. You'll be set for life if you give your heart and believe what He's done for you. You'll be set for life with the treasure stored up in heaven when you're through. You'll be set for life. Be Let's get into it. Second Samuel 8 and 1. David's further conquests. After this, it came to pass that David attacked the Philistines and subdued them. And David took Methagama from the hand of the Philistines. Then he defeated Moab, forcing them down to the ground. He measured them off with a line. With two lines, he measured off those to be put to death, and with one full line, those to be kept alive. So the Moabites became David's servants and brought tribute. Now, I want us to remember in the previous chapter that God had promised as part of his covenant that with David that he would give Israel rest from all her enemies. Well, to do that, you got to conquer all the enemies because the enemies are never going to leave them alone. And so now David started to go out and do that very thing. He was going out and conquering, taking out all of Israel's enemies. The Philistines, they had been Israel's enemies for well over 125 some odd years at this point. But then the Moabites. And when it says he measured off two lines, it means that David put to death, he measured them out, he put to death two out of every three Moabites, two-thirds of them he wiped out, but that left the third to be slaves of Israel. These people, these enemy groups have been against Israel and hurt them. This was a judgment against them for all the trouble, but it seems odd though. Did you see the Moabites? It seems odd David would attack the Moabites because remember, David had ties to Moab, if you recall that. Remember Ruth? She was a Moabitess. As a matter of fact, she was David's great-grandmother. So David had family ties into Moab. If you remember when David was on the run from King Saul, he went and asked the Moabite king if his parents and siblings could stay there with him. Okay, so he had these connections. Why was David killing these Moabites off? We don't see it directly stated in the text, but we do have some information that we can consider some possibilities. Why? First of all, you got to realize if David attacked the Moabites and he had God's authority and approval to do so, something's in there. Something something happened that didn't get recorded in the text. Well, it's speculated maybe the Moabites betrayed David in some kind of way. Maybe that affected David's parents. I've heard it even suggested that maybe the Moabites even killed. David's parents, we don't know that, but something severe went down that would make David want to attack them. It was authorized, it was approved, and he was successful at it. So something went down. We don't know what it was, but something happened, given the information we have, that David had to attack the Moabites. Something serious happened, and we don't know why, but he did, and there's these enemies being taken out. So now 2 Samuel 8 and 3. David also defeated. Hadadazer, the son of Rehob, king of Zobah, as he went to recover his territory at the river Euphrates. David took from him 1,000 chariots, 700 horsemen, and 20,000 foot soldiers. 
Also, David hamstrung all the chariot horses, except that he spared enough of them for 100 chariots. When the Syrians of Damascus came to help Hadadezer, king of Zobah, David killed 22,000 of the Syrians. Then David put garrisons in Syria of Damascus, and the Syrians became David's servants and brought tribute. So the Lord preserved David wherever he went, and David took the shields of gold that had belonged to the servants of Hadadezer and brought them to Jerusalem. Also from Beda and from Barathai, the cities of Hadadezer, King David took a large amount of bronze. Okay, so David is kicking tail and taking names, and he's bringing trophies home too, okay? he He's the Terminator here. He's wiping everybody out. Nobody can stop him. And so now from this, David essentially, he started a chariot corps for Israel. You got to think, back in the day, chariots were jet fighters. So he's building their military force up. Not only is he having success over the enemies, but the military force of Israel is getting a lot more powerful. He's taken it from their enemies. Every place that David also had defeated, he put an occupation force in their territory to extend Israel's defense and offensive forces. Now they're getting broader. They can see enemies coming quicker. They they can strike sooner before the enemies have a chance to get close. And so it says David returned to Israel victorious, just like he'd done during Saul's time. You remember the people would sing about David as he went in or as he came out and came back in. It's because when he went to war, he brought everybody back. They survived. And they wrote songs about David, his victory. And that's what initially made Saul jealous. Well, David is still doing this kind of work. He's still kicking it, man. The Lord was giving David victory, and he preserved David everywhere he went. Friends, do you want the Lord to preserve you everywhere you go and give you victory? I, I sure want that. Pay attention to this story. Second Samuel 8 and 9. When Toy, king of Hamath, heard that David had defeated all the army of Hadadezer, Then Toy sent Joram his son to King David to greet him and bless him, because he had fought against Hadadezer and defeated him. For Hadadezer had been at war with Toy, and Joram brought with him articles of silver, articles of gold, and articles of bronze. King David also dedicated these to the Lord, along with the silver and gold that he had dedicated from all the nations which he had subdued from Syria, from Moab, from the people of Ammon, from the Philistines, from Amalek, and from the spoil of Hadadezer, the son of Rehob, king of Zobah. I hope you noticed Amalek's name there, the Amalekites. Remember, the Amalekites had come in and attacked Israel when they were on their way out of Egypt. And not only did they attack them, they attacked them at their rear of the line where the older people, maybe the children were walking, the most vulnerable point at Israel's most vulnerable time in the middle of the wilderness with no place to run to, no walls to get behind, the Amalekites cowardly attacked Israel when they were coming out of Egypt. And so now they got beaten, a judgment for hurting the Israelites. Again, to remind you, that was judgment against the nations who had done wickedness against God's people, Israel. Curse for curse, blessing for blessing, though, okay? And so here comes the blessing side. King Toy, he saw David's track record going around. He was beating everybody, and he wanted to be in the blessing. Good move, King Toy. You made a good decision. So he chose to stop in any struggles that may have been going on, 
He pledged allegiance to join Israel's feudal system. He wanted to get in on the the victory that he saw going on. I mean, King Toy, he's no dummy. He's not toying around. He's serious. He sees what's going on, and it's obvious to him that he does not want to be on the wrong end of David's spear. It was a good move by him. And take notice, though, all the spoils David's getting, the silver and the gold, all the things he's getting from all the victories, he did not let it go to his head. How many people do you know of today that if they had victory like this, they're kicking tail, taking names, getting the trophies, they would put those trophies up and go, look what I have done. What did David do? It says he dedicated it all to the Lord. Friend, what you have, do you look at it and go, oh, look at me, I'm awesome, or do you dedicate it to the Lord? No, I'm going to use this to the Lord. You may have a half a million dollars in your bank account. You may have a hundred bucks. Are you dedicating that money, what you have, what you have gotten, do you dedicate it to the Lord or do you think of it as yours? Big difference, okay? David would rather give it all to the Lord than keep it all for himself because that starts pride, okay? Beware of that. Second Samuel 8 and 13. And David made himself a name when he returned from killing 18,000 Syrians in the Valley of Salt. He also put garrisons in Edom. Throughout all Edom he put garrisons, and all the Edomites became David's servants. And the Lord preserved David wherever he went. Okay, look, we're being told again that the Lord preserved him. When the Bible tells you something twice, that means it really wants you to get it, you know, because sometimes we have a hard time like me. (laughs) Sometimes you have to tell me twice before I get something. So we've been told twice. The Lord is trying to say, look, you walk in covenant with the Lord God. He will preserve you. But David here, he had gained incredible fame. He He defeated absolutely every military force that dared to try to come against him. And every place he conquered, he put a garrison there, occupation force in their cities. But notice that it says the Lord gave David these victories. He gave him those victories. Why is that word gave important? Why is it so big that I stress that? Because the Lord had just made a covenant with David. And he said, I will do these things. David's not doing this. See, if you look at the text loosely and you don't remember your covenant, 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 friends, the whole Bible, all of the entirety of human history, all of Israel's entire history, your very salvation is built and founded upon, it is facilitated by, it is given through covenant, promise, it's all through covenant. David is walking in covenant victory, and the Lord is preserving him because of it. Covenant, covenant, covenant. Did y'all get that yet? Covenant? Okay, moving on. 2 Samuel 8, 15, David's administration. So David reigned over all Israel, and David administered judgment and justice to all his people. Joab, the son of Zeruiah, was over the army. Jehoshaphat, the son of Ahilud, was recorder. Zadok, the son of Ahitub, and Ahimelech, the son of Abiathar, were the priests. Sariah was the scribe. Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, was over both the Cherethites and the Pelethites. And David's sons were chief ministers. I'm glad you're reading the text along with me in your Bible. You should be. Follow that text because I'm terrible at pronouncing Hebrew names properly. So you need to be reading because I'm probably butchering it up. 
But anyway, after all the conquering of the enemies, it was now time to set up an effective government. Now, government can be a good thing. It actually can. I know we don't have a very high opinion of it these days, but when it is a godly government, it can be a very good thing. And so it was time to set up an effective, good, godly government. Think of it, guys. The Lord took a young shepherd boy who was just out in the middle fields by himself all the time, considered the lowest of the low, and he elevated him way up and taught him how to rule nations. A shepherd boy doesn't know anything about ruling nations, but he does know how to manage stupid sheep. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) And so uh, David kind of does have some experience in a way. He knows the lamb. And he knows the lambs, <laughs> the land and the lambs. You, he knew how to set up a government, but the Lord taught him how to do it. The Lord taught him how to establish royal succession from after King Saul. What amazing wisdom that David is using here. If you look at it, just poof, set up a government. How many of you could do that if you were given an entire nation? But also to amplify our understanding of David's wisdom, the wisdom that God gave him, I want us to take a close look at verse 17. Right there, it lists two priests who were put into the priestly position. It was both Zadok and Ahimelech. Now, this is a major, major pivotal moment here. Why? Let me explain. These two priests, they were installed in the priest position. The Lord was setting up measures in place to maintain the Davidic covenant that he gave to David. How so? Okay, the Lord was affixing to make a major switch in the priesthood. Let's remember how Abiathar the priest was. Uh, He had been running along with David all this time, but later on, after this, we're looking into the future here from this point in time in 2 Samuel 8. In the future, in 1 Kings, David's son, Adonijah, is going to try to steal the throne from God's chosen guy, Solomon. God had a specific line that was in in the way to go all the way down to the Messiah in the Davidic covenant. But Adonijah wanted to steal the throne. And by stealing the throne, it was going to violate the Davidic covenant. He threatened to stop the line that the Lord God was going to put in place. Let's look ahead at it real quick in 1 Kings 1, verse 5. Then Adonijah, the son of Haggith, exalted himself, saying, I will be king. And he prepared for himself chariots and horsemen, and fifty men to run before him. And his father had not rebuked him at any time by saying, Why have you done so? He was very good looking. His mother had borne him after Absalom. Then he conferred with Joab, the son of Zeruiah, and with, look at there, Abiathar the priest. And they followed and helped Adonijah. But Zadok the priest, Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, Nathan the prophet, Shimei, Ray, And the mighty men who belonged to David were not with Adonijah. Okay, you can see people are picking sides and, well, let's cause a split and let's run this way. Adonijah's like, hey, if you slap me in as king real quick first before Solomon gets it, then apparently the the throne is mine, right? Well, let's look at why Adonijah's acting like this. We just read that it said that David neglected to discipline Adonijah very well because it says he never rebuked him. Apparently. This means that Adonijah was a malicious guy. He did whatever he thought was right, never had David to correct him. He was a troublemaker because no no parental discipline ever said, hey, stop that. Why have you done this? It says David never did that with him for some reason. That's why he tried to take the throne. This was wrong for Adonijah to try to take the throne. It was supposed to go to Solomon. 
but Adonijah's plan didn't work. Solomon still got the throne. But then later, Solomon fired Abiathar from the priesthood because he tried to help Adonijah steal it. Look at 1 Kings 2 and 26. And to Abiathar the priest, the king said, Go to Anathoth, to your own fields, for you are deserving of death. But I will not put you to death at this time, because you carried the ark of the Lord God before my father David, and because you were afflicted every time my father was afflicted. So Solomon removed Abiathar from being priest to the Lord, that he might fulfill the word of the Lord, which he spoke concerning the house of Eli at Shiloh. Okay, what did the Lord tell Eli at Shiloh? Do you remember Eli? He told Eli in 1 Samuel 2 that his line was going to be cut off from the priesthood because he had his sons who were, he wasn't rebuking his sons. They were acting like fools. They were abusing their power as priests. They were sleeping with women in the tabernacle and stealing from people and doing all these bad things. So the Lord said, we're going to cut off your line because you didn't get your kids under control. You're making a mockery of the priesthood. And so the Lord cut his, Eli's line off at Abiathar because of that throne theft attempt that he tried to do. That's when it got cut off. And so long before the throne stealing attempt ever happened, here in 2 Samuel 8, verse 17, we have David, I think he sensed it in his covenant faith here, he sensed it to set up Zadok to be priest. Remember, we have Zadok and and Abiathar both listed to be priest here. He put Zadok in to be priest along with Abiathar in advance so that Zadok's line would carry the priesthood down through the rest of the Old Testament when God removed Abiathar. When his line got cut off, Zadok was going to hold it, okay? So look at what David's doing. He's making moves for things that haven't even happened yet later down the line. Can you see how operating in wisdom in accordance with God's covenant, in accordance with faith, see how it'll save you a lot of trouble later down the line? People say, well, you know, I... I believe in God, but I'm not real strict about following him. I mean, I'm saved. I'm okay. Well, wait a minute. Walking with God in wisdom, according to his will, will save you a ton of trouble, a lot of trouble. Who wants more trouble? Put your hand up. So anyway, David's actions were guided to work in accordance with God's will to fend off future threats to the kingdom. David is setting up the kingdom. He just conquered the enemies. He's just putting a governmental administration in. The last thing you want to do is make stupid decisions and not walk with God to where you're going to blow it here pretty soon coming anyway. So, friends, you build this life up and you work on relationships and you work on career and all these things. Don't blow it just because you refuse to walk with God. Well, I've got everything set. You'll blow it if you don't walk with the Lord. Be careful. And so from this chapter, we can see how the Lord took a shepherd boy, a lowly shepherd boy, and equipped him for victory through covenant. How many times have I nailed covenant today? I'm going to keep doing it. So did you know that when you give your life to Messiah Jesus, you enter into covenant with the Lord? And if you'll stay faithful to his word and his will, then your steps will be guided By the Lord, he will navigate you through all the landmines that blow up everybody else. You don't want to step on a landmine. Let him direct your steps. Proverbs 3, verse 5 through 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him 
and he shall direct your paths. Second Samuel 9 is going to show us the extra steps that David took to succeed the throne. It wasn't enough just to defeat the enemies. Wasn't enough to set up a good government. He wanted to reinforce even better. David is multi-layered of strength here, okay? To succeed the throne better, it would be good to get support from the northern tribes. So he wanted to extend any special favor to someone, whoever was still surviving from Saul's line. Now in 2 Samuel 9 verse 1, Now David said, Is there still anyone who is left of the house of Saul, that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? And there was a servant of the house of Saul whose name was Ziba. So when they had called him to David, the king said to him, Are you Ziba? And he said, At your service. Then the king said, Is there not still someone of the house of Saul to whom I may show the kindness of God? And Ziba said to the king, There is still a son of Jonathan who is lame in his feet. So the king said to him, Where is he? And Ziba said to the king, Indeed, he is in the house of Maker, the son of Amiel, in Lodabar. Then King David sent and brought him out of the house of Maker, the son of Amiel, from Lodabar. Now, when Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, had come to David, he fell on his face and prostrated himself. Then David said, Mephibosheth? And he answered, Here is your servant. So David said to him, Do not fear, for I will surely show you kindness for Jonathan your father's sake, and will restore to you all the land of Saul your grandfather, and you shall eat bread at my table continually. Then he bowed himself and said, What is your servant that you should look upon such a dead dog as I? And the king called to Ziba, Saul's servant, and said to him, I have given to your master's son all that belonged to Saul and to all his house. You therefore, and your sons and your servants, shall work the land for him, and you shall bring in the harvest, that your master's son may have food to eat. But Mephibosheth, your master's son, shall eat bread at my table always. Now Ziba had fifteen sons and twenty servants. Then Ziba said to the king, According to all that my lord the king has commanded his servant, so will your servant do. As for Mephibosheth, said the king, he shall eat at my table like one of the king's sons. Mephibosheth had a young son whose name was was Micah, and all who dwelt in the house of Ziba were servants of Mephibosheth. So Mephibosheth dwelt in Jerusalem, for he ate continually at the king's table, and he was lame in both his feet. Okay, remember how whenever the Bible tells you something more than once, it's very important. Why were we told that Mephibosheth was lame in his feet? He had a hard time walking. He was disabled. He went through a tough life, obviously, and the Bible wants us to understand that. Let's recall what happened to Mephibosheth, uh, why he was lame, unable to walk. Back in Second Samuel 4, verse 4, Jonathan, Saul's son, had a son who was lame in his feet. He was five years old when the news about Saul and Jonathan came from Jezreel. And his nurse took him up and fled. And it happened as she made haste to flee that he fell and became lame. His name was Mephibosheth. Okay, so in those days, disabled people, unfortunately, they had to beg for a living. And for their begging, they were often looked down upon... Thank you for listening to Set for Life. We hope you can join us next time 
unless Jesus returns for us first. Set for Life is the radio ministry of Pastor Ray Jensen. We invite you to subscribe to our podcast at setforliferadio.com. Hi, this is Ray Jensen. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to encourage you in God's Word. If the Bible doesn't excite you, then you're not reading it. I want you to remember that you are not worthless. You are priceless. Messiah Jesus died on the cross to redeem you so that you can be set for life. You'll be set for life.